You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Demet Çanakçı. I'm a program director at Toronto Centre. Welcome to our Financial Inclusion and Gender Equality Community of Practice webinar series. We are delighted to host three guests today, John Frost, Sharon Chen, and Sebastian Dorr. You have received their bios, so I will briefly introduce them. Sharon Chen is a founding member of Ernst & Young FinTech team and the lead author of the Global FinTech Adoption Index 2019. She uh, drives global and regional FinTech strategy and collaborates across the financial services ecosystem on FinTech trends and policy development. She will join us in, in, the, in a couple of minutes. John Frost is a senior economist in the Innovation and Digital Economy Unit of the BIS. In this role, he conducts policy-oriented research on fintech and digital innovation. Previously, John worked at the Financial Stability Board and the Dutch Central Bank, among others. Welcome, John. Thank you. Sebastian Dörr has been working as an economist in the Innovation and Digital Economy Unit of the BIS as well. His research interests cover financial intermediation and macroeconomics, with a focus on how innovation affects the financial sector and the economy. He was awarded the European Economic Association's Young Economist Award, as well as the Young Innovators Award at the World Dankan Forum. Congratulations again, Sebastian, and welcome. In today's session, uh, we will be hearing about the recent publication titled The Fintech Gender Gap. It is an interesting paper. I encourage you to read it, if not already. Before I pass this over to Seb Sebastian, uh, I want to thank our funders, Global Affairs Canada, the Swedish SIDA, International Monetary Fund, Jersey Overseas Aid and Comic Relief, and USAID, without whom we couldn't achieve our global mission. Please use the Q&A tab to submit your questions. We will try to answer as many questions as we can. It is now my pleasure to hand over the session to Sebastian for his presentation. Enjoy the session and over to you, Sebastian. Thank you for the kind introduction and giving us the chance to present our work here. So the FinTech Gender Gap is joint work with Sharon um, from EY, John, Leonardo and Yun Song Shin at the, at the BIS. Um, John and Sharon are on the call and will join me later also for the Q&A. So we all hope that FinTech is uh, fostering financial inclusion, right? So the idea is it's transforming financial services and many policy initiatives um, have the explicit goal 
to foster financial um, innovation and improve access to finance for the underbanked. And so one big question is whether the fintech gap, uh, whether fintech can close the gender gap in access to financial services. So we know from the World Bank data that around 72% of men globally have a bank account, but only 65% of women do. And um, so fintech promises by using non-traditional data, machine learning, and other new technologies to maybe overcome this challenge and hopefully narrow the gender gap. So what we want to know in this, in this research paper is whether the use of fintech products and services differs between men and women. And so we will importantly distinguish between fintech products offered by fintech entrants and traditional financial institutions. And once we address this point, the next question we're asking is um, whether we can explain any observed differences in the use of fintech products, whether they center around privacy, economic benefits, or other attitudes toward technology. And to answer this question, the main data we're using is the EY Global Fintech Adoption Index uh, from 2019. I'll give more detail in a bit, but basically it's a survey of around 27,000 adults in 28 countries that is within each country representative by gender and age. And the survey asks um, detailed questions on the use and attitudes towards fintech. So the key finding in our paper is that um, men are more likely to use fintech products or services than women. And this is what you see in the, in the graph here. So on average, 29% um, of male respondents say that they use fintech products or services by fintech entrants. And 21% of women um, say that they do. So that's a, an 8.4 gap in the average. And as you can see, the pattern is present in almost every individual country. So the red dots on the right side in the graph are um, the share of male respondents that use fintech in each country, and the black dots, the female respondents. And except for Peru and India, where the gap is very close, everywhere men um, report using fintech more. There's two outliers here, China and India, that's mostly explained by payments um, apps that are being used. Now, um, Arguably, fintech products, you know, cover different aspects from peer-to-peer um, -peer loans to managing your money and so forth. But actually, when we look at different categories of, of fintech products, the gap is also there. So when we try to understand what could explain this gap, the first thing we look at are individual characteristics such as age, income, education, um, but also country characteristics. So whether you live in a, in a rich or poorer country, your financial development and so forth. And when we account for these factors, um, we do find that the gender gap narrows. So from 8.4 to 5.2 percentage points, so that's around a 30% decline in the gap. But the gap is still there. And actually, when, you, when we plot for each country the average gap, that's what you see in the right in the graph, once unconditionally, so just the raw gap that's there in the data, and then once conditionally by taking into account differences in individuals, age, income, and so forth, we actually find that there's a very high correlation. So that suggests that individual characteristics, at least the ones we can control for, but also country level differences don't explain that much of the gap. So another question we're then basically asking is whether it matters who offers the FinTech product, right? So it could be that maybe if the FinTech product is offered by a traditional bank, maybe then there's no gap there as to oppose that's been offered by FinTech entrants. And so when we do that, we find a few interesting patterns. So actually, more respondents say that they use fintech products offered by traditional banks 
than if they're offered by fintech entrants. So that's the average, almost 50% versus 25%. Um, and interestingly, respondents are more likely to use fintech entrants if they also use fintech products by traditional banks. So this could suggest that actually fintech is more of a, a complement rather than a substitute to traditional um, banking services. Um, that being said, we do find that the gender gap is almost identical um, across both groups. So it doesn't really matter whether the, the product is offered by a traditional financial institution or by a fintech entrant. The gap is similar in magnitude and not statistically different. So this could suggest it's rather more about the product, sort of fintech product rather than the provider um, that could be responsible for the, for the gender gap we observe. Now, so I've told you um, all the things that don't explain the gap. So um, of course, it's more interesting to provide some answers of what could explain the gap. So what we do is um, we document in the first step differences in gender attitudes towards privacy and technology. And so specifically, we want to know whether individuals are more or less concerned about privacy when they're dealing with companies online, their general willingness to use new financial technology, um, also their price sensitivity. So would you be willing to use a or to switch to a fintech entrant um, if they would offer cheaper services or better rates? And finally, a, a product fit. So the idea being that maybe fintechs offer products which simply are better tailored or more innovative and suit my lifestyle better. So we first document differences in these attitudes. And then we want to know whether the differences in these attitudes could explain the gender gap. So the first thing um, in terms of documenting differences, we find that women report that they are more worried about their security when dealing with companies online. And they're significantly less willing to adopt new financial technology for example, digital banks. Again, these questions come from the survey. Um, men instead are more price sensitive, so they are more willing to use a fintech entrant or even share their personal data with fintechs if cheaper offers uh, would be the result. Um, well, women are actually less willing to use a fintech even if the products are somewhat better suited to their um, needs or lifestyle. So the next thing we do is there are differences, obviously in attitudes towards fintech products. But the question is, can they you know, narrow the gap when we account for them? So what we do is we, we subsequently account for these differences across genders. And we find that actually worrying about your security or the difference in the suitability of products don't really narrow the gap. Instead, what, what explains a large part of the gap is that um, there are differences in attitudes to technology and price sensitivity. So they bring the gap down from 5.2 to 2.3 percentage points. So, in a nutshell, if we control for individual characteristics in the sense of age and income, as well as country characteristics, and then on top of that, um, for attitudes and price sensitivity, the gap declines by 75%. Um, so that's a huge drop. Um, that being said, 2.3 percentage points are still around 10% of the average adoption rate, which is 25%, but that's still quite a significant gap. And, but I think it's, um, it's good that we find some variables that could explain the gap we're observing. Now, um, of course, now we know that there's difference in attitudes, but what determines these differences would obviously be the next question. And so in our paper, we cannot answer this because this is not explicitly part of the survey, but we think there's, there's three major explanations based on previous literature that could explain differences in attitudes and hence also a large part of the gender gap. So um, on the one hand, there could be differences in preference across genders. Um, there, there's been a lot of work showing that, for example, women tend to be more risk averse than men. 
Um, so it could be that simply by, by being a new technology, it will take some time um, to be adopted. Another explanation could, of course, be gender-based discrimination. So there's also, I think, convincing evidence out there that um, loan officers have certain biases. There might have been discrimination in the past, and that might discourage some people from actually, you know, um, using new technology. And the final um, explanation we think is, is um, a possible one is that there are social norms and laws that might affect the cost-benefit trade-off. So um, what that means is that maybe the leak of data um, could be more severe for women than for men, for example. Then even if a product would give the same benefit to both genders, if the costs of, say, a data breach are disproportionate, then that could discourage women from, um, from adopting fintech, which usually relies on, on data-intensive technology. So in terms of policy, um, we argue that there, there will be more research needed to pinpoint underlying cause of the gender gap. Um, so as we mentioned, attitudes differ and they go a, a large way or a long way of explaining the gender gap. Um, but what determines those attitudes or price sensitivities is at this point an open question. But we think that, you know, depending on the cause, it could be the case that if you want to foster financial inclusion through technology, you might need policy support that takes into account explicitly that the willingness to share data or to use technology differs across subgroups in the, in the population. And again, only if we know the cause, we can actually design the, the right response in terms of policy. And so um, in that sense, we think it would be, would be promising to look further and better understand what determines um, differences in, in the attitudes to technology and price sensitivity to understand how to design best policy. Now, this is basically um, the key message of the paper. And now I'll spend the next 10 to 15 minutes to give you a bit more background to convince you that what we find is more than just um, a few pictures and correlations, but there's a solid analysis behind that. So that we're really convinced that what we find is a very consistent and strong pattern that is hard to explain. So let me spend a few minutes on the Global Fintech Adoption Index first and then move into the analysis. So the, um, the Fintech Adoption Index by EY um, is based on a survey of 27,000 individuals in 28 countries, so roughly 1,000 people per country. It's um, representative in terms of gender and age within each country, but it's an online survey. So one drawback here is that um, we only interview people, or EY only interviewed people that actually have access to the internet. Now, in terms of fintech usage, it might not be the worst thing because without internet, you can't really use most of the fintech services, but it's important to keep in mind. And the survey asks detailed questions on the use and attitudes towards fintechs, um, but also towards traditional financial institutions or non-financial services companies. We also know respondents age, gender, income group, education, marital status, employment, um, country and language. And just as I mentioned, the, in the very raw data, the fintech gap is already large. So 29% of men use fintech products offered by fintech entrants. 21% um, of women do, and it's, it's present in all subcategories. So it's true in payment products, investment, borrowing, financial planning, or insurance products. Um, and there's also quite a few other differences in, in attitudes. So um, this basically just shows you the same in the picture. So once more, um, in every individual country, except for Peru and India, there's a significant um, fintech gender gap. The left um, figure shows you basically the difference with an individual product categories. And as you can see, some fintech products are used more than others. So payments, for example, is by far the most used fintech product in the survey. Um, but the gap 
is there in every individual category. And actually scaled by mean adoption rates, it's quite similar across different products. Now, when we investigate those patterns in more detail in regression analysis, we basically want to know whether you know the outcome here is just a dummy saying it's a value of one if you use a fintech product and zero otherwise. And um, we regressed that on a, on a female dummy. So basically, the better here would tell you if it's positive, women would use fintech more than men. If it's negative, they would use fintech less. And the nice thing here is that we can control for a host of factors, um, including individual characteristics, but also everything at the country level. So we can basically abstract from factors like financial development, average internet access, GDP per capita, and all these things at the country level that could explain or potentially explain the gap. And um, so when we do that, so the right-hand side is the regression table, but um, I think we can ignore most of the details here. So when we add more and more of the controls that could explain the gap potentially, so characteristics at the individual level, at the country level, and so forth, we really, the gap narrows, but it never disappears. And it also doesn't disappear when we only focus on those that already use banks or, um, or um, don't use banks for fintech products and services. The gap is actually quite similar in both groups. Um, and again, in the, in the final column six and seven, what we do is we really compare 19 individual fintech product categories. So we, we very narrowly separate fintech products in different groups, but we find that the gap is present even if you compare very similar products I mean, in principle, you could think that maybe for some, for some reason, men only use payment uh, fintechs and women only um, investment fintech products. And that could maybe explain the gap. But actually, we show that that's not the case. The gap is there in, in very narrowly defined product categories, which we found quite striking. Um, Similarly, when we compare fintech entrants and traditional FIs, um, again, controlling for all these factors that could confound our findings, um, if anything, um, the likelihood to use a fintech entrant is higher if you also use a traditional bank um, that offers fintech products and services. So again, we think this could be um, a sign that fintech is a complement to traditional banking and services. That being said, when you control for all different factors, the gender gap is identical, statistically speaking, between um, whether it's offered by traditional banks or fintech entrants. That would be columns five and six, um, the interaction coefficient for those of you interested in regression tables. Um, so one interpretation of these results could be that um, the gap is not specific to who is offering the product, but rather that the products themselves um, um, matter. Okay, so it's, we can't explain the gap or we couldn't make the gap go away by forcing all fintechs to be bought up by banks. Not that we would want to do this, but um, it also wouldn't make sense to close the gap. So what could explain the gap? I already gave you a, a, a brief overview, but basically in the survey, we have a few or quite a few questions on different attitudes. So one is about the very about security. The question reads, I very about the security of my personal data when dealing with companies online. So um, we basically assign a dummy if a respondent says yes to that question. Um, and then we do a first principle component analysis. So basically what you do is we take a bunch of questions which ask about similar things. So your willingness to adopt financial technology, to adapt products for cheaper offers, or because products or, or services would better fit your lifestyle. Um, and then we just combine all these different questions into one common component. And then we wanna know whether this component differs across genders. And um, 
Indeed, we find that there's a significant difference across men and women. Again, female respondents tend to worry more about the security on average, but are less willing to adopt new financial technology. Um, women are also less price sensitive, so men are more willing to use a fintech entrant, but um, men are less willing, are more willing to use, switch to a fintech if they offer better products and, and uh, products better tailored to the respondent's lifestyle. Okay, and all these differences are quite strong and pronounced across genders. Um, so the next thing we do is basically account for these factors directly in our regressions to understand how much of the gap they can explain. And um, so in that table, if you want, you can focus on columns five to eight. So basically the coefficient on the dummy female indicates the size of the gap. So in column five would be minus 5.3 percentage points. And then we account for the very about security. In column six, we add um, technology. So attitudes and technology as a control. In column seven, we add price sensitivity. In column eight, we add um, the product fit. And what you see is that, so from column five to six, and then again from six to seven, the coefficient declines on, on the female dummy by quite a bit from 5.3 percentage points to 2.3 percentage points. Further adding um, the product fit doesn't really do much. So what this means is that attitudes towards technology and um, price sensitivity really could be factors explaining why this gap um, is there. But as I mentioned um, a few minutes ago, our survey doesn't allow us yet to determine um, what could explain differences in these attitudes. And I mentioned discrimination, could be preference, could be social norms. Um, and we need more research to understand what is driving um, these differences in attitudes to inform policy. We perform a few further exercises in the paper. Let me skip that, I think, because um, I'm probably in the Q&A, some of these will come up. Um, but so one thing I want to mention here towards the very end is um, that not only um, the dimension across genders matters, but also the trust in counterparty. So basically, who's providing the service. So in the survey, we did find that um, fintech entrants and traditional financial institutions offering fintech products um, exhibit a similar gap. But nonetheless, um, when we ask about the willingness to share data in exchange for better offers, um, there is a pecking order. So basically, in the survey, there are questions whether you would be willing to share your data for a better offer with either a traditional bank, a fintech, or a non-financial services company. So for example, a big tech. And pretty consistently in most countries across the world, consumers are most willing to share their data with traditional banks, um, then with fintechs, and only then with big techs. So think of Amazon, Google, um, Tencent, and the like. Um, although to be fair, definitions vary a bit across countries. Um, so we think this is an interesting and interesting pattern to the extent that apparently at least in terms of who you trust more or less and your counterparty matters. And um, here at the BAS, we have a, another um, work in the making which should come out tomorrow around noon um, where we use um, very good data, high quality survey data for the US on US consumers. And we asked them basically, you know, um, how much do you trust each counterparty to safely handle your data? And there's a very similar pattern. So they, they trust banks the most, traditional FIs, and they trust fintechs, but also government agency, agencies to a similar extent, but less than banks. And they have far the least trust in, in big techs. Um, so this pattern is really consistent. 
And um, interestingly, we, the survey was in September 2019. So we asked consumers about how COVID-19 has affected their willingness to share data. And there was, again, a very strong pattern that is varying to the extent that COVID-19 has exacerbated previous um, finding, uh, previous uh, pecking orders, basically. So, among, so a quarter of respondents became less willing to share the data in general in response to COVID-19. Um, but most of, almost half of these were less willing to share their data with big techs. Okay, so the, the ones they trust the least to begin with, they became even less willing to share their data with. Traditional banks, on the other hand, so on the right-hand side would be the blue dots, um, see the, the lowest increase in distrust during COVID-19. And I mean, this obviously matters, right? We, now we all have to rely on, on, I don't know, be it Zoom, be it um, remote work, be it online shopping. So we all rely more on data, but people became more concerned. They don't trust everybody equally. So in terms of like policy, I think it has quite interesting implications. But um, let me wrap up and then open the floor for questions. Um, so data lie at the heart of digital economy and the quality and representative of the data are crucial. You know, it could be that an uneven provision of data could lead to, lead to bias algorithms, discriminatory pricing and so forth. And so just having better technology might alone not really help us close the gender gap in the access to financial services. Instead, we might need policy to support this financial innovation. Um, and that policy needs to take into account that different groups of the population have different concerns um, and they're less or more willing to share their data, for example, or less or more willing to adopt new technology. Um, and so this new normal we're living in of remote work um, Zoom presentations um, might not benefit all groups equally because although we all have to do it, some might like that more and some might like this less or become more, uh, more or less concerned about what would happen if the data would be leaked, for example. And so just to wrap up, the fintech gender gap, you can read up the paper on the BIS webpage, um, but we find a very strong pattern um, in all, almost all countries in the survey um, women use fintech products and services less than men. Um, and it's very hard to explain the gap just with individual characteristics or country characteristics. Instead, um, it seems that attitudes to technology and price sensitivity go a long way of explaining the gap. Um, but we definitely need more research to understand what determines differences in uh, those attitudes. So let me stop here. And I guess at this point, John Sharon will join me for Q&A. Demet, back to you. Thank you, Sebastian. It's a great presentation, uh, very informative and to the point. Um, this is the advantage of having three speakers. Uh, some questions are already answered uh, live. Um, okay. Yeah. Perhaps we can just, you know, uh, still uh, go over uh, those questions to see if you uh, would like to add anything. Um, so one of the questions were, uh, if I own a fintech service and my wife uses it, to which gender you assign, would you assign the use of the service? Might this be creating a false perception of a gender gap? So I assume uh, John Sharon answered that at some point we split the sample to those that live alone and those that don't. Um... So, I mean, we, we, it's true. In a household, we wouldn't know who's using the service. But if you focus on the respondents who are alone, in that sense, we find a similar gap. Okay, thank you very much. So, Calvin is uh, 
Okay, that's answered. <laughs> so uh, there's uh, one question here. Sorry, I here. If I could just cut in on that um, last question. Yeah. Okay. I do want to, apologies, I do want to point out that in, oh, I guess we're starting video. <laughs> there we go. Um, I do want to point out that FinTech as, uh, most of the FinTech solutions are very mobile phone based. So in theory, you can share an account and there are some, I guess, products that are designed to be shared between families or couples, but actually it's, as propositions, they're very individualistic. So it, it's possible that we're not seeing, what we're not seeing is if, you know, in a traditional split of duties, women might be looking after childcare and men might be making financial decisions. So we might not see whether or not there's an indirect benefit of a woman whose husband is using a FinTech product and saving on behalf of the household. But if we're looking at the, who's using the product in and of itself, then I think it's what we've got here is a pretty fair measure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. So there's uh, one question uh, not answered yet. I think it's uh, just a matter of preference. And uh, now wouldn't it be more important if the gender equality was based on who makes more fintech, fintech products? Anyone wants to answer? I'm not that? sure I fully understand the question. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, to kind of maybe take a stab at the question, I think um, there is, it's very separate to this piece. There's quite a lot of thinking and uh, questions around how do we get more female founders into not just the FinTech space, but into the tech space and whether or not there's you know institutional barriers, financing barriers, cultural barriers, whatever they are. There's, there's a lot of people researching this, speculating, trying to, trying to fix that. I think it's, important to ask the question of whether or not fintech is reaching women because very much because the the idea and the reason fintech has had so much traction is that it promises to be better in however you want to define it whether it's cost or whether it's um you know better user experience but better than what products might be available and in that case if you're looking at it from a societal benefit perspective, you wanna make sure that those benefits are able to trickle down to all parts of society. In this case, we're looking at gender, but uh, if you look at the industry, there's also concerns about making sure it hits the more, um, the elderly or the less technologically, um, the more, less technologically skilled or making sure it hits more vulnerable populations without certain ideas and so on. So I, I think it's, it's important to remember it is a, industry but also given um given the impact it's on had on the industry itself and on financial services making sure that the benefits trickle down and reach everyone across society thank well, you <laughs> okay george is asking um a question here uh interesting report an important contribution to an emerging focus on diversity and financial services did your analysis discover any similar results in InsureTech? John? So, yeah, I, oh, okay. uh, please go ahead, Sharon. You, I'll, I'll come in after you. I was going to say that um, our definition of FinTech in this case covers InsureTech, WealthTech, PayTech, kind of quite broad brush. There's, I think, uh, 19 services we've included in there and they cover, they, they touch upon what we think were the most um, 
popular and most uh, available globally of across all the consumer financial services products. So yes, it does um, cover insure tech. I don't think we've done the analysis to see if there's a difference between insure tech versus wealth tech versus say digital banking services. So, so we have found that there is a gender gap across each of the 19 uh, services. So that includes insure tech. Um, and I think that um, it's notable that um, you know a lot of the discussion on uh, financial inclusion and the use of technology for financial inclusion, you know, references the potential of insure tech solutions to help, you know, uh, small businesses, to help, you know, women, um, for instance, uh, with crop protection. You know, there are a lot of these examples that we hear about that are, are very promising indeed. But at an aggregate level, I think it is notable that we see a gender gap for the insure tech space as well. So it, it seems that at an aggregate level, um, insure tech is not yet helping to close the gender gap. Although to be fair, we don't know if it's bigger or smaller compared to other categories. So we didn't check that explicitly. So it could be that InsureTech is still doing better relatively, but we didn't check that yet. But the gap is there. So in that sense, correct. Okay, thank you. Um, while we are getting other questions, I have another, I have a question. Uh, your survey uh, sample um, consists of um, you know, more advanced economies. Do you think there will be differences in your results if you uh, work on some emerging market economies? Well, there's a number of um, emerging markets in there, and I will agree that they're not necessarily representative of all the, I guess, the different levels of uh, development. Mm -hmm. But we, but of aside from the developed markets like uh, you know the U.S. and the U.K. and a lot of Western Europe we did try to bring in markets like South Africa into the mix. And we've, in this 2019, we included quite a lot of Latin America as a, as a bit of, um, I guess, to try and represent some of what the interesting activity happening in that space. Okay, thank you. I'll continue with the questions from participants. Quite an insightful paper. My question is how do you take into consideration variations in digital divide, robustness of ICT infrastructure, discrimination against women across the countries involved in the study. Also, do you think level of financial literacy has any effect on gender gap on the FinTech industry? So I can, I can take this and I think Sebastian will also have some, uh, some things to add. Um, I should note that our survey is of digitally active respondents. So, you know, it, um, it assumes that the respondent has access to digital technologies, which means that it likely understates the gender gap. Mm -hmm. um, indeed, there's, there are indicators showing that women, you know, there is a digital divide. Uh, women are less likely to have access to digital technologies to start with. And we show that even among those who have access to digital technologies who are able to, you know, take part in the survey, there is this gap in the use of uh, fintech. Um, we also have a proxy for um, financial literacy. It's not a perfect proxy, but, uh, but we do have a, a question. Um, and, uh, and we find that uh, you know, the, the results are, are robust to in including uh, this measure of uh, financial literacy. Uh, Sebastian, I'm sure you have uh, something more to add here. Um, yeah, so one thing to point out is that we, we do know the country you're in, but we don't know which part of the country. So arguably, if you look at, at larger countries, there could still be huge differences within countries in terms of, you know, gender attitudes, discrimination, things like that, um, that we can't pick up in, in this survey. 
So all we can take care of is the average in each country. That said, um, so the US survey I briefly mentioned at the end, uh, there we ask a few questions which are more detailed on literacy, um, who takes financial decisions and so forth. Um, so at least in the US, they don't explain the gap. We do find, however, that in, in areas where people perceive there's more discrimination against women, they're less willing to share their data. So it could be, I mean, it's still in the making, so I don't want to make too bold statements here. Um, but so it would be in line with, I think, what you have in mind um, with your question. But the survey we have in this, in this paper, we don't know the disaggregated data at the country level. Sharon, I don't know if you have uh, other thoughts. No, I'm afraid we weren't able to, um, we had to limit how many questions we put in there. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, next question. Uh, I have heard that self-service gas stations came into being because, um, because soccer moms prefer not <laughs> to leave their cars okay. than buying gas. Uh, unexpected question. Uh, is there a similar example in FinTech? So the question is whether the demand for a product leads I, to the product being made or offered. I guess that's the... Yeah, I think that's my understanding. Otherwise, uh, John can rewrite, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Sharon, John, any, any examples? I what I would say is that if you look at most tech startups, uh, including in the fintech category, and you speak to the founders, there's always an origin story about why they think there's a... Uh, how they got inspired by the idea and why they think it's something that needs to be resolved with you know new technology or a different approach mm. and that's everything from you know, some of um for example if you speak to a founder of a remittances company then off they might be an immigrant themselves or they might have had experience working with people of immigrants and therefore that's been the inspiration for going off and starting what they do so so nothing immediately comes to mind quite as specific as the example that's given, but there is, I think, within the industry, a general acceptance that not only do you kind of have that urgent story or try and, try and fill niches in the market, but also as part of the design of the product, you incorporate quite a lot of customer feedback in tweaking what you initially might have started off into what actually gets presented or what, um, by the time you get to your series B or C, what is the the product that you're trying to really scale up. Yeah, John, uh, yeah, clarify the question. <laughs> uh, whether there are any fintech products preferred by women? That's what he was uh, trying to uh, Okay, um, I'd say that's quite broad brush because I think that's when you start talking about when I venture into the category of intersectionality because what uh, women might want at you know age 50 it might be very different from what someone in their early 20s might want and also brings into very specific specifically into their needs and to their goals one thing we are seeing is that products that are specifically targeted at women do address try to overcome some of that literacy points is tends to be a bit more social real communities and networks those are all approaches that a lot of um fintech startups have adopted to try and reach more women as their customer base. Okay. So that must be a good answer because he thanked already. Thank you for the question, John. And um, so we have uh, two questions from uh, Carol, I think. Uh, 
First, do you have any plans to conduct more research to look at those without access to technology? Are you pursuing further research in this area? I don't know, John, if you want to make a CBDC example on uh, offline CBDC, but please go ahead if you have any ideas. Sure. So um, one of the issues with uh, doing research on uh, financial inclusion, and particularly for people who are not digitally active, it's, of course, it becomes much more difficult to collect data. There is a lot of research, you know, and I'm sure people in this uh, community are, are very familiar with, you know, the uh, J-PAL and, you know, the work by, by uh, um, you know, Duflo and others that, um, you know, really uh, looks at um, RCTs and emerging market development economies, uh, sends you know surveys, uh, sends people to collect data. A lot of what we do is based on digital <laughs> digital data sources, which um, where it's by definition a bit more difficult to reach uh, people without access to technology. So this study, you know, I mentioned that um, uh, you know by construction we only have information on digitally active respondents. Uh, of course, we're not able here um, to uh, get information on people who don't have access to digital technologies. But when the point that Sebastian was mentioning is that there is a lot of research on um, how digital technologies can be made more inclusive. And I think that one interesting example is in the central bank digital currency research. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how central bank digital currencies can be um, constructed to be inclusive. Uh, it can be used for offline payments. So even uh, for individuals who don't have access to a smartphone or even a feature phone. Um, so there are in China, for instance, the People's Bank of China is looking at interfaces, uh, including you know prepaid cards and, and other means for offline payments. Um, and I think there are a lot of um, Bank of Canada staff have written about universal access devices. So these are very low cost devices that would be just for uh, payments in central bank digital currencies. And these are specifically meant to um, allow for digital payments by people who don't have access to a smartphone or, or feature phone or who might not be comfortable using it for payments. And I think that that's a really important area, um, particularly in light of you know, the, the groups that are you know, most vulnerable and, and least likely to have access to digital payments currently. Think about the homeless, think about migrants. Um, you know, visually impaired people, so, so you know, uh, different, uh, more vulnerable populations. So yeah, I think this is a very important area of research. Um, we don't have good data sets on, uh, on these populations, but certainly we're following um, what's being uh, discussed here and, and the technological solutions that are meant to, to cater to these specific segments. Okay, thank you. I, I do have a, another question. <laughs> So uh, based on the, uh, you know, your, uh, I, I read the paper, it's uh, really interesting. And the, if the differences in adaptation rates for FinTech products are based on the differences in hardware preferences, behavioral thing mainly, then the scope for interventions through policy would be limited, I understand. Uh, are there any role for supervisors uh, to do more, especially uh, for example, addressing the security, data security issue uh, you discussed in the paper. I mean, so in, in, yeah. the example of, for example, worries about, um, concerns about your data being leaked. Mm -hmm. So I think even if preferences would determine that and we would abstract that even given the same risk, for some reason women think it's, it's much more harmful. I don't think there's such a thing as, you know, too little risk of my data being abused, maybe. So 
I think we can probably, as a supervisor regulator, adopt a, a stringent standard on data privacy laws that certainly wouldn't harm men, but still, you know, even if preferences are the difference, um, um, could encourage women to use more fintech products and services. So that would be my take. I don't know if Sharon or John have more to add. That would be one example, I think, where mm -hmm. clearly regulation and supervision could help. Okay, thank you. Well, I do think that um, when you talk about preferences, that's quite cultural, social as well. And so I do think, you know, regulators, people in positions of authority do have or can play a role in normalizing certain behaviors, which I admit is long-term and a lot more indirect, but there are definitely things that can be done to not just, I suppose, set the standards, but to encourage, um, to, to make certain practices or whether at the consumer side or at the business side, just, you know, common and make people more familiar. And once you've got that, you've passed that familiarity barrier, you pass the, um, the understanding barrier, then you, you will naturally see more uptake of whatever product you're talking about. John, anything to add? I think that. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I saw a question, but it disappeared. I believe it's answered already. It was uh, actually related to my earlier question. So- uh, even, even if I make, just may make one quick comment also in response to what Carol wrote about sure. the gas station. So- Yes, I, I was about been, to read it. Yes, thank I you. I think three yes. of those questions center on what Sharon briefly touched upon that, you know, that there might be, I don't think we're missing that up, that, that thing because there's research on that, but it, there's uh, solid evidence that, you know, uh, there's fewer female founders in FinTech than, than male founders. So to the extent that you think that maybe, um, you know, female founders know better um, what female customers would want, and that's an argument often made, then certainly you could wonder whether there's any market failure preventing female founders from getting enough funding to start their FinTechs. Um, I think we're aware of the problem with all the good research, but I don't know if we have found a definite answer um, of why there are so few um, female founded fintechs. Maybe Sharon knows more about that, but I think that thing you brought up kind of like gets at the heart of this, right? I mean, if, if there's demand for products, we need to know about that. Mm. Somebody needs to create a product. Maybe, you know, there could be a disconnect here. Well, I won't touch upon why there isn't enough female founders because I think that's that's another five, 10 papers even if we <laughs> manage to get that research done. But um, I will say that it's worth remembering that this paper is, it was very much designed to be a global survey. And so in the questions we put together, in the way we've, um, you know, the methodology that we designed, the idea was to be able to have a benchmark that you can then compare actually very different countries and then be able to say, well, this, this we use the same approach for each country and therefore you, fact, you might have to fact, there are limitations of countries that you may or may not be able to factor as uh, you've picked up on, or some of the questions have picked up on, but the whole idea was to have a global benchmark. Whereas I think some of these questions about where there are gaps, where, um, why, why might you know, women in one country be more willing to share data or not, all, all of that, I think there's some, there are interesting questions. There are interesting case studies if you, dive into specific countries about what's happening. So, you know, what might be seen as a need for women in India is not necessarily a need for women in the US or in Switzerland. And therefore it wouldn't necessarily be covered in our survey, but then if you go and 
look at what products are available in the market, you'll, you'll see that variability in products from country to country. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So Calvin uh, uh, mentioned the question again, so perhaps it wasn't, the response wasn't clear. Uh, uh, the focus of my earlier questions were around whether men or women are better at understanding the risks around fintech products in advanced economies. Maybe men need more financial education. What do you think? Could well, well be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can give the anecdotal industry view because um, I won't be able to necessarily point to specific academic studies. But if you speak to, for example, the, um, the people who run investment apps or who run investment businesses, the, the trend that they tend to pick up on is I think women, A, feel like they need to have more knowledge than men before they are comfortable with making certain decisions. And then I think, and this is obviously very anecdotal and kind of very broad brush, but men also tend to be much more comfortable with taking risks compared mm -hmm. to women. So there, there is an element of, I guess, at the decision and also the, the way the decision or the information is portrayed to them. And, and both things are um, things that, you know, fintechs have done to remedy. So there's some very good products in the market that have been trying to bring in behavioral analytics and gamifying experiences to help people understand their risk level rather than just saying, I'm comfortable losing X amount. And then there's also other um, apps that really focus on helping people understand the literacy. And they're not necessarily targeted towards men or women in particular, but the the people who run the apps have very much commented they have noticed differences in how female versus male customers engage with those apps. Mm -hmm. And if I may add one academic reference here, John, there's this fantastically titled paper, now outdated titled, um, Boys Will Be Boys, um, and Gender Overconfidence in Common Stock Investment. And what they show is that men are very overconfident, they trade way too much, and they actually make net returns that, that are negative at times. So. If you think, okay, fintech, maybe men use lots of cryptocurrency, that obviously would be lots of fintech use, but not necessarily uh, socially optimal. So, I mean, we, that's not what we're saying in the paper, but obviously it could be the case that, I mean, if you're very risk uh, uh, seeking, then that needn't be the optimal outcome from a societal perspective that everybody's using products they don't know yet. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, I mean, um... There, there is literature as well showing differences in risk aversion. Um, so um, women tend to be more risk averse. Um, and, you know, so it could, and, and getting to the point that Sebastian mentioned earlier, I mean, there are legitimate concerns uh, around data breaches, um, around, you know, there, there, in some cases, there's a lack of regulation of, um, of new products and services. So it, there, there may well be a case for, uh, educating people about some of the risks uh, that they face and making sure that they are aware of the risks in, uh, of you know, dealing with companies online, of using digital products, and that they are able to protect themselves against those risks. Uh, there's probably also a case for regulation, particularly of data use. Um, you know, regulations like GDPR in the Euro European Union, I think, are being um, you know, replicated in other jurisdictions around the world. So there is very much, I think, a, a need for um, you know actions here, and I think that uh, one thing that we've we've also seen in, in other work is that you know people tend to worry about issues when they've had an experience with them themselves. When people have experienced a data breach, they're more likely to worry about data breaches. 
when people have you know potentially been subject to discrimination they may be more worried about discrimination going forward so um it's better to educate people about these things uh, perhaps in, in advance than you know allowing the, the the these incidents to happen and having them worry uh, afterward um but yeah again this is i think a, a role for public policy actually yeah. if i may add a stat from the index where we we asked uh, at one point we asked the respondents who do they rely on to help with financial decisions over a third of women say that they rely on family and friends and colleagues so they consult essentially whereas i think about 20 percent of men say that they don't rely on anyone they just and that anyone includes including includes not just friends and family and uh, professional advisors but also even you know online and offline tools or government institutions or relationships that they may have with their own individual research. So I think that's quite um, revealing in, in their mentality. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if I remember correctly, one of the main drivers of this FinTech gender gap in, in your paper as men are uh, you know, more price sensitive. When they see a cheaper product, they just move right away. So that's uh, one thing. Uh, one of my takeaways from the uh, paper. Okay, uh, Calvin, thanks uh, you for your thoughtful answers. And we have question from George um, Brady. Behind social cultural norms that may contribute to the gender gap, did you discover any legislative or regulatory barriers to gender equality, whether financial laws, regulations, or other? So sure. this is a, okay. This okay. is a great question, um, and I think that one thing that we should say at the outset is, as Sebastian mentioned, um, the country level characteristics actually don't play that large of a role in explaining the gender gap. Um, so that was something that kind of surprised us. Um, but but you know there are of course very large differences. Some countries have enshrined gender differences in legislation. Uh, there's a great paper by Marie Hyland, um, Simeon Jankov, and Penelope Goldberg on gendered laws and women in the workforce. They make available, this is in AER Insights, they make available indicators on uh, gendered laws and basically on gender discrimination um, you know, in, 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 uh, in legal frameworks. And it's clear you know, there are a number of countries around the world that still um, have uh, differential treatment of men and women in, in a number of laws um, and you know, uh, from uh, you know, voting to labor markets to um, uh, all sorts of civil um, uh, protections. So that is very important. That could, of course, have a role. Um, and first pillar pension rules, which you mentioned here, I mean, this could, of course, also have a role in, um, in the use of fintech. But what we found is that, uh, at least in, in our survey and for the data we have access to, that um, this didn't seem to be a, a key driver of the gender gap that we found. And it's notable that even in relatively egalitarian countries, um, we still see a gender gap in use of fintech. I would also venture that it's hard to, I suppose, say here is the type of policy that does or does not play a role because each country is different. I, I mean, if you, to, to an earlier question about where there might be gaps in market, if you, um, if for example, in the UK, most of the FinTech products will be very dependent on having some form of identity and some sort of financial history to start with. And I say most, there, there are obviously exceptions, but the majority of that, if you look at um, 
you know, the payments providers, or if you look at some of the investment companies, you need at least some form of, if not ID or bank account, or even a Facebook profile to help with your credit scoring. So that's very, your ability to tap into those products in the UK or in the US will depend on you having some element of establishing yourself. Whereas in other countries, like, uh, like some of the more developing ones where there isn't necessarily that specific requirement there there's a feeling that if you have a mobile phone then that's all you need you don't need to worry about having a bank account it will and instead the fintech will come in and be your bank account so so it's hard to say that this one legislation will specifically help women because what we've seen is that fintech will come in and try and fill that gap and work around the legislation or work around what's already happening at the ground level rather than trying to right rather than saying treating each country specifically the same okay thank you very much um i think we answered almost more than 20 questions this is a record <laughs> thank you so much uh including my questions i think we answered 21 uh and seems like um everybody is happy with the responses no follow-up questions uh I would like to thank you, uh, Sebastian, John, and Sharon uh, very much, and um, participants and asking questions, making it more enjoyable for, uh, for us this morning or afternoon or evening in your case. Um, thank you for joining us today. We will stay on the line with the uh, community of practice members uh, to continue our meeting, uh, which will be closed to public. and. Um, Thank you again and uh, join, uh, stay tuned for our uh, next webinars. Mm -hmm.